0: welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you so much for joining me. One thing making me happy this week is that fall is in the air. I'm sure I probably say this every year, but this is my absolute favorite season and I spent the morning looking at local events and adding things to our calendar for different pumpkin patches and spooky ghost tours. And there's like this Halloween themed ballet playing that I really want to take the girls to and so many things that I'm really excited to go do. Uh, If anyone is curious, the girls have decided to dress up as dead pirates. That was their idea. And they are pulling their own costumes together and doing their own makeup this year. Uh, So I'm kind of off the hook um, and I'm excited to see what they come up with. Um, The unfortunate thing about Halloween this year is that poor Sloane has to get her tonsils out just a couple days before Halloween. So I don't think we're going to be able to do trick-or-treating. And honestly, I don't know that we've been trick-or-treating since before the pandemic. Um but it'll just have to be another year in which we snuggle up and watch the nightmare before christmas because it's like one of my favorite movies and I'm so excited to watch it every halloween um and I don't know we'll all eat blizzards all night long or something whatever you do when you get your tonsils out I've never had my tonsils out um but poor child we will do our best to make it a fun and memorable holiday anyway of course, I am also so happy to be talking to today's guest. They're the best-selling and award-winning author of many novels for children, teens, and adults, including the Stonewall Honor Book, Felix Ever After, and the National Book Award winner, King and the Dragonflies. Their newest YA novel, Lark and Kasim Start a Revolution, came out last month. Please welcome Kason Calendar.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for joining me and congratulations on your new book. Thank you. So the first question that I always launch into with all of our guests, I would like to hear your writing origin story. Mm-hmm. What were the the twists and trials of your life that brought you to being an author?
1: Um, it all started with fan fiction. I. <laughs> me too. What did you write oh, for? Oh, really? Yeah. Um well, unfortunately, the unspeakable person. Uh, here, yep. yeah, yeah. Mostly her, but um, besides her, I was also super into anime. I feel like I was the old school, like tsunami late at night ter- type of um, millennial anime watcher. So I would write yeah. anime for like Cardcaptor Sakura and Gundam Wing, um, and I feel like putting my stuff up on fanfiction.net and seeing. I mean, I wrote like some really wacky stuff. I wrote like a card captor Sakura um, remake that was based on The King and I. It was just, there was no reason for that to be written.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> love that.
1: I was like 11, you know. Yeah. Um, but I got like a lot of positive reviews for that sort of thing. And that made me feel like, oh, this is like someone actually in one of the reviews said, you should consider writing professionally um, and actually try, trying to publish your own stuff. So hearing that when I was like 11, 12, I feel like that was seeded in pretty early.
0: Mm-hmm. That's actually very similar to me. I wrote for uh, Sailor Moon fan fiction oh, really? um, in my formative years. And the feedback that you get from fan fiction readers can be so encouraging. I think it would have taken me a lot longer to kind of build up the, the, the courage to mm-hmm. put my work out there if I hadn't had that.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love the, the encouragement for sure. I wonder if um, you struggled with this, especially in my earlier years, like trying to transition from writing fan fiction to my own stuff, like original stories and original characters. I feel like it took me a long time to realize that the reason fan fiction um, feels so good is because these are characters and worlds we already love. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to realize I have to create that love in my own work also, figure out how, like what the craft of that is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, it is definitely, it adds a different element for sure, having to to do that character building and world building. Um, and knowing that you don't have that built-in audience too, that was tough for me to, you know, know, like I could keep writing this and I know people will read it or I can go out and forge my own path. And you have no idea if anyone in the world will ever see it.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How did you then transition into writing originals?
1: Let's see. Um, For some reason, these years were a little murkier. I think that that's when I wanted to, uh, I attempted my first original novels and I did the one thing that no writer is supposed to do and Larkin, the book does it all so you're not supposed to query an unfinished novel. Mm. Um, So I think I was like in my early 20s. Um, kind of like writing, testing the waters, um, attempting to finish books. That I really just did not know how to finish. Um, and then I started to work as a bookseller at Books of Wonder. Started to learn a lot more about children's and YA specifically. Uh, started to intern at Brown Books Young Readers. I feel like I just learned a lot more about um, the craft of creating a novel. And then I was finally able to write a novel from start to finish. Mm. And then, um, yeah, and there were a few books in there that I finally, like, wrote from start to finish, like, actually queried, got um, an agent, went out with, they never sold before, finally Hurricane Child sold um, a couple of years before 2018.
0: mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So about, what's the timeline there from, like, your very first attempt at moving away from fan fiction, trying an original novel to selling your first novel about how much time was that
1: oh man I it it really is murky um I think maybe I think I was starting to attempt my first novels really when I was like 16 17 um to mm, like querying etc like early 20s to being like 28 and selling my first novel. So okay. I guess it's it was like a 10-year ish span.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's a, uh, it's just good for people to hear that like it does take time.
1: Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, and of course, you did finally get that first book deal, and you have had many books come out since then. Uh, would you please tell listeners a little bit about your newest novel, Lark and Kasim Start a Revolution?
1: Yes, so Lark is a unpublished 17-year-old um, non-binary neurodivergent um, person who is an aspiring author. And they think that the only way to become published is to gain uh, 50,000 followers on Twitter. And they're actually doing pretty well. But then their uh, former best friend and now number one enemy, Kasim, accidentally posts on Twitter's, um, Twitter's Lark's Twitter account. Um, folk saying about his own unrequited love story. And everyone thinks that it's Lark's post and it goes viral. And Lark is kind of like swept into a spiral of lies as they um, continue to feel like they have to say that this is their story. And i like to say that my favorite, one of my favorite tropes is the main character who's very oblivious to someone (laughs) who's very obviously in love with them. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Yeah. And Kasim's post is so obviously about Lark, and everyone around Lark is like, Kasim's in love with you, and Lark, you know, the reader everyone knows, and Lark's just like, what? No, he's not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like that trope as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I... I have to say I adore Lark as a character they the way that they see the world is very similar to kind of how I see the world oh really kind of there's a naivete to it and like Mm -hmm. I recognize that I embrace that I have naive elements to myself um but I thought it was really refreshing I love how Lark Like believes in world peace and believes that people can learn and change and do better, and, you know, believes in loving people at at like a really deep level. Uh, And I just found that just really refreshing. And I so enjoyed being in Lark's perspective. Uh, So the first thing I want to talk about with this book is, you know, to kind of take me through your process of character creation and of getting to know your main characters.
1: Sure. Um, Well, first, I'm really glad that you did that did resonate with you because um, there are I feel like there are different aspects of me that um, came out in LARC in a similar way. Like those are things I believe also. Um, I feel like it also depends on my mood sometimes, like whether I've been meditating or not.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's part of that.
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs> um but so originally the first draft was pretty different because um it was set in 20 the year 2020 where within the first scene it's announced on TV that there's a mysterious virus right um and the characters are about to live through the timeline without really knowing what is happening but as i wrote the um what's going to happen but as I wrote that draft, it, there was just some things logistically that I hadn't thought about beforehand. Like when you are in quarantine, the characters really cannot interact very well. There's, so there's no um, opportunity for conflict or character development. It just felt very trapped in the same way that that year did. Hmm. Um, and my creativity was just like no pulse. It really was a struggle to get through that first draft. Um, yeah. And it became a lot more about the year 2020 than it did about the story or the characters. So I went back for the second draft and changed it into a vaguer, it's not necessarily 2020 The pandemic has still affected the setting, the characters, the story, um, but it's basically now where it's like you're wearing masks, there are um, vaccines, uh, people are being careful, but um, there's just more opportunity to, for the characters to actually interact. Mm. So I think once I like, I was so trapped that, that it was kind of like clenching the fists with that first draft and then the release was just this release of like joy and love and freedom. And I think Lark's character kind of develops along those same lines because before they were also pretty stagnant, I think. And mm. this time it felt like they just had like a burst of, you know, this is the second draft is when I realized that they're neurodivergent and their voice really came to life. and. Um, their character felt a lot freer in the same way that I do in the moments where I've been meditating and happy. So yeah, I think that there's a direct line between creativity and joy. Um, and finding the joy of the book allowed a lot more creativity for the character's development.
0: I love that. That's pretty much our slogan here at the Happy Writer podcast.
1: <laughs> I didn't even think of that, but yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and of course, with Lark being A writer, I, you know, of course, I relate to that side of them. And so many uh, people who listen to this podcast are aspiring writers um, and published writers too. And so I always think it's fun to be in the head of another writer and even going through like these, these classes that they're taking and, you know, all of that. I just really enjoyed that perspective um, I want to talk about Birdie, uh, mm. who is this fictional character that Lark is writing about. You know, it, the main character of this book that Lark is trying to finish, and throughout the book, Birdie actually becomes like a, an imaginary character. Mm. And I thought that was so clever. Where did that come from? And do you think you'll ever write Birdie's book? Because I love the concept for it.
1: Um, thank you. I, I Birdie did come from kind of like that similar burst of like freedom. I can finally like get away from this trapped first draft, like the cursed first draft. And um, I feel <laughs> like the I, w- I really wasn't expecting they kind of like appeared out of nowhere. Um, and I think the readers' reactions tend to be similar of like, who is this? <laughs> I myself. <laughs> <was> like- <laughs> Um, but I'm glad that they stuck around. Um, yeah, I feel like, you no, know, I would never write that book. I tend to have a lot of ideas. Um, and sometimes I look for avenues to get the ideas out into the world because I want because those ideas kind of like want to be birthed, but it's like, I, there's no way I'm going to be, have the time or the mm. capacity to write all these ideas. So whenever I see a, a moment like this, I'm like, Oh, just get that one idea out onto the page in this way.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. It's a good way to think about it.
1: Yeah.
0: I also am plagued with way too many ideas. It's a constant frustration.
1: How do you handle that?
0: Oh gosh, not very well by telling myself I can do everything and then stressing myself out about it. Yeah. How do you handle it?
1: Um, I think towards the beginning of my career, it felt like I have to do all the things all at once. Um, And now I'm in a space of just, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like I've been, is in as much of a rush, so it's allowing me time to write the idea out. I have this thing I actually got from like Neil Gaiman's masterclass. He calls it the compost heap, and it's where he just like throws all of his ideas into one document. So I have my one document. I write the ideas out based on contemporary fantasy, sci fi, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like the test is whether I'm still thinking about those particular ideas like five years later. and if i have continued to go back to the compost heap and like developed it so it's not just one line it's like bullet point after bullet point of like oh and this could also happen then i know that my excitement is genuine about it um but then there are other ideas that are still kind of there and it's so, like whenever i read them I'm like oh that's a cool idea but <laughs> i don't feel that like <laughs> yeah yeah that urge to write it
0: no it is always an interesting feeling going back through the idea file because you do forget about things <laughs> or like You know, you you have an idea, something comes to you in a dream, or it's just like a blip on the radar, and you just toss it in the idea file, and I forget 99% of the things that I put in there. And generally speaking, I feel like, okay, the things that I don't forget, those are the ones that rise to the top, and those are the ones that I end up writing. Mm -hmm. But every now and then, like you say, you look through the idea file, and you're like, huh, this one's actually pretty good. Why did (laughs) I forget about that one?
1: (laughs) <laughs> or my favorite is when I'm like in the middle of writing um, a current project and I just happen to glance through the, the compost heap or the idea file and I see another idea that's like, oh, that's perfect to incorporate some way into the book that I'm writing right now. And sometimes even answers like a question I'm struggling with or is the answer to like a writer's block that I'm yeah. I'm dealing with. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's great. No, that'd be feel very like a gift from the universe. Mm hmm. Yeah. I also I like using it for um, like characters like a lot of times I'll throw like you hear about an interesting career that somebody has. You're like, wow, I didn't know that that was a job that would make a cool Mm. character. So you throw it in and like little bits and pieces like that. It's not a full fledged idea for a story, but Mm. it could definitely come to play a part at some point.
1: I like that. I'm going to try that too. Someone recently also said that they use their um, idea file at Heap for emotions that they want to um, make sure that the reader's feeling throughout the book. So if it's like a particular book, that's about like the devastation or grief of, and I never really thought about it that way. I always thought about it in terms of concepts. So.
0: Yeah. Oh, that yeah. is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, that actually plays really well into my next question um, because I did want to talk a little bit about some of the humongous emotions that Lark is experiencing over the course of this book. Um, And like for me, definitely one of the the biggest themes that comes across is this idea of loving yourself. And Mm -hmm. how much can we love ourselves if we're constantly relying on Uh, The acceptance and the love of others. How much can we love others if we don't fully love ourselves? I mean, just huge questions that we're we're constantly facing, we're constantly thinking about and dealing with. Um, And, you know, kind of back to Bertie being this imaginary character that kind of follows Lark around. I kind of got this impression that like Bertie is the part of Lark that already loves themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that beautiful. is that like intentional or is that like me reading into it or
1: <laughs> that was not intentional but I'm totally stealing that because okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a beautiful um yeah I like that a lot I think that event they as I wrote Birdie they eventually became like the voice of oh Lark you're not like as awful as you think you are kind of like wanting to um help the reader realize that they're not as awful as they think they are also but uh, i do love that what you just said a lot
0: yeah no and i i really enjoyed uh the interaction between the two of them like knowing Mm -hmm. that everything birdie says is on some level something that lark is thinking Mm -hmm. like i don't know it's Mm -hmm. just cool it's very meta
1: it is Yeah. (laughs) yeah i like it a lot
0: um, so, but then of course, so we've got, we're in Lark's perspective and we get lots of really deep emotions, lots of, um, you know, intrinsic thoughts about Lark's experiences. But one thing I thought was so interesting is that you're also constantly peppering us with opinions and perspectives from other characters, whether it's their peers in the the writing class or whether it's The people on Twitter, you know, we get a lot of different just ideas and perspectives and conversation. And some of it, you know, legit and like, Mm. yeah, that's something like really worth thinking about. And some of it's like, eh, are you just being a troll? Um, So for you, like, was that difficult being in Lark's perspective and also finding ways to express these, this variety of opinions?
1: No, um, I think that I tend to see a lot of different sides um, and see the worth in a lot of different arguments. So it felt, at times I felt like I was basically arguing and debating with myself in the way that Larkin Kasim would have these debates. Um, So I think that the ultimate point that I was trying to keep in mind as there were a lot of different arguments and thoughts coming through was that regardless of what, you think it's as long as you're not actively harming another person, these are all viewpoints that are worthy of respect. And every person is worthy of respect and love, regardless of whether you agree or disagree. And I think that was trying to come from the community perspective of what does it mean to actually be in a community? Um, Because oftentimes I do think that, you know, outside of the obvious like harmful, racist, transphobic anti-queer you know we're not discussing that that's very harmful but even within like a queer community a small um community of friends like what are the ways that we treat one another when we have different opinions I think that that's what I was trying to keep in mind is um I was going back and forth and showing the different perspectives
0: mm-hmm. do you have any tricks or any methods that you use for developing the perspectives of people, your secondary characters and being able to write them very authentically?
1: I think I was looking at it from the um, perspective of Lark's sto- uh, character arc. So I tend mm. to focus in on, uh, and I actually kind of wanted to find a little bit more freedom from this. because I think I've become like a little stilted in it after a while, but um, I really love the book Story Genius by Lisa Cron or Crone um and that always looks at the perspective of a character that always looks at a character's development from the perspective of what was their trauma what was their wound um and how is it that that wound makes them see the world in a way that is incorrect so for example if lark has the trauma of i'm not worthy of love because of everything that all the bullying etc then at the beginning of the book they think they're not worthy of love by the end of the book their development is making them um learn that they are worthy of love so mm-hmm. to go to the um question of how to develop the other characters and the stories to me I organize it all around what the current character character's development is and how is it that those characters are either helping them get to the to that or are, um creating conflict in a way that the uh, main character has to learn from in order to get to the end goal of them whatever lesson is that, that they're learning
0: mm-hmm. or
1: um Sometimes also not necessarily learning, but then that's like a another issue where there's going to be a lot of consequences and you know. But um, so I think I tend to just kind of like organize it all from that frame of mind of okay, so Lark is struggling to learn themselves that love themselves, yeah, love themselves. Um, so then a character like Patch would be placed to just dig right into all of their um, internal fears and struggles about themselves. And then a character like Sable would be placed to um, just be very authentic in a way that Lark wants to be and show the love to Lark that Lark um, wants to know that they deserve as well. You know, like mm-hmm. it's just kind of I think that's that's how I organized the uh, secondary characters.
0: I did love Sable.
1: I love Sable, too.
0: Yeah. And I thought that Sable was a really great foil is that the right word um a great balance to Lark and and I like that you you suggest that Sable is kind of the person that Lark wants to become in some Mm -hmm. ways and I hadn't thought of that but I can totally see that.
1: Sable is the person that I want to become
0: too. Me too we all want to be more like Sable (laughs) um no and I this this idea of characters experiencing trauma is one that comes up in the book in Lark's writing group and I had never considered it in the in that way before but then when you start to think about it and like all of my main characters definitely have some sort of trauma um either in their past or that they're experiencing over the course of the story mm-hmm. actually both usually um and then you think about you know your favorite characters mm-hmm. just through literature and who you love. And it is, again, I'd never thought of it, but it's surprising how much that fits and how how logical that is, that it just humanizes a person.
1: Yeah, and um, another one of my favorite realizations after I read the book was, story genius, I mean, was that for middle grade um, and younger, and even like looking at Pixar movies as an example, um, a lot of the times characters are also inheriting Uh, family trauma, interracial trauma um, that then affects their character arc. So for example, Moana, Moana wasn't actually, didn't actually have plenty of trauma with the sea, but she inherited her father's fear of the sea and trauma from the sea that kind of like created that developed her own character arc. So
0: that is so interesting. Yeah. Also, like
1: I I said, I think I started to become a little obsessed with this and it's like, sometimes it's okay to let, you know, it doesn't have to be, always completely organized by this idea Um, and I'm sure someone could eventually find an example where a character does not go through this to um, develop the whole story and character arc but Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah I mean it's one of those things that I always hesitate to be like this happens to every book or every Mm -hmm. character has this or every you know you never want to make those just gross generalizations Um, but I also I think it's interesting to look for patterns and to see story and craft in a new way to be able to think about it in a new way because that's how I feel like I'm growing as a writer like oh wow I've got a new lens to to see this character through now
1: yeah
0: um I really enjoyed the conversations that were happening in the the writing group that Lark is in um similar just because you know again this idea of you know characters experiencing trauma and how that uh has created their characters how that influences their story just made me think then about my writing and about books in a different way um but there's so many great questions that this teacher poses to these students and then you know hearing the different feedback was really interesting and really fun to read mm-hmm. uh so i want to throw some of the questions back at you and hear what you think about them oh no <laughs> <laughs> um Blog versus likable characters. Is it okay to have unlikable characters?
1: Um, personally, I love unlikable characters. I was kind of shocked coming into publishing and realizing that people really do not like complicated characters, I would say. Mm. Um, to me, it's realistic. To me, it's, I think everyone has like a shadow side of themselves that they don't necessarily want to see and is potentially harmful to other people. And kind of like looking at that face on is so much more interesting to me than the character who is just kind of like overall likable. I don't know so yeah to me just doesn't feel like there's as much um there are as many layers Mm -hmm. so I love unlikable characters um yeah I understand that that isn't everyone's cup of tea
0: no I agree with you I'm a fan um I think it's maybe it's a misnomer, you know, we call them unlikable, but mm-hmm. I, I like complex, mm-hmm. um, I think is maybe more true. Exactly. Um, yeah. Cause, cause even though people maybe say like, oh, I don't like quote unquote, unlikable characters. I think a lot of times you give that same reader the the Mary Sue of the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the perfect character who never does anything wrong. Well, we don't really like that either. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Should a writer write to please others?
1: No. <laughs> well, you know, I do feel like this is becoming more of a complicated question for me these days. Um, Because I think uh, I'm realizing that I can be both and... I, I think I'm in a place of, before I wasn't really following my joy, I didn't think I realized until recently that I was not really following my joy all the time with every book that I was writing. Mm. And I felt like, oh, I have to write this because it's this what people expect of me. And I wasn't enjoying my career as much anymore. So now I'm definitely in a space of, if it's not sparking joy, I'm not writing it. Um. But I think there's space and nuance for it can spark joy in me. And then maybe it can also spark joy in everyone else, too.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And
1: and maybe, but but I guess to answer the question with like either yes or no, no, because I feel like the first motivation should always be me first. And then with the joy of whether I'm actually, of what it is I decide to write. And then hopefully the rest follows.
0: Yeah. No, I, that speaks to me a lot, um, because I also find myself struggling with this sometimes, you know, wanting to please the readers, kind of feeling the, the outside pressure mm-hmm. of wanting, of course you want your readers to be happy. They're your readers, you know? Um, but, but I, I think it's so important to make sure that you are also enjoying the process and kind of in love with the book yourself first. Exactly. Exactly. Do you I mean what do you do when I don't know how to form this as a question how do you go about finding that spark of joy like is there something in particular that you're looking for or something that you're a way that you've managed to listen to your instincts
1: I've been practicing uh embodiment not as much as I should be these last few months but um for a while I finally I don't think I even understood um for a very long time what it meant to like authentically feel like a, the the emotion of like happiness and joy that kind of like pulls you in a specific direction um I think I, I'm so in my head and my thoughts and very like logical okay this should be written because there's a gap in the industry right now and kind of like all of that mm. um so getting out of the head and meditating has helped like really just kind of like feeling the emotions that are in the body when I think about an idea um, does it feel like I can better tap into the feeling of oh there's like some dread there I do not want to write that book
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> versus
1: oh wow this book is giving me like some curiosity and excitement and you know I'm at the beginning stages so I don't know where it's going to go but that actually also helps a lot um, as I'm plotting and trying to figure out what the next scene is or if I'm kind of trying to make a decision between a character's personality traits or something, just kind of like sitting and waiting for that feeling of dread in one direction or curiosity and joy in another has been helping to guide me um, through the writing as well in a way that has been much more helpful than kind of my logical like, okay, this plot beat must be this and this character trait must be this, you know?
0: Yeah. No, I I love that. And I think it's really great advice. Um, and I also, I have to say that I loved the chapter in which Lark delves into meditation um mm-hmm. because i am a big proponent for meditation but it can be so frustrating when mm-hmm. your mind won't sit still and when you mm-hmm. can't clear those thoughts and i really liked you know that you you put out there that like there's other ways to do this mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you don't have to be just like that perfect focused on your breath all the time there's other benefits to meditation and other options out there
1: yeah and I don't think I realized it in time for the book but I also have realized since um maybe it isn't book maybe not but sometimes the thoughts are the point and it's okay to sit there for as long as you can just letting the thoughts like rush in and just instead of like trying to push them away and then eventually they kind of like slow down and stop naturally Um, so accepting that thoughts can be a part of the process instead of feeling like, oh, I'm doing it wrong has been helpful.
0: Yeah. All right, my last question taken from the book and the writing class, how do you tackle writer's block?
1: It's very helpful to be able to write maybe three books at once. I feel like I'm always writing at least two, but um, usually about three books. And if it's not working and if it's something it's frustrating. I just stop and I move on to another book and maybe it's a few months, maybe it's a few weeks, but inevitably the answer will come to me and I know what to do. And it definitely helps to have had the space and then to look back at the writing I've done and be able to see it clearly and see, oh, it's not working because of this scene specifically um, versus being kind of like tangled
0: in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Moving on I have to ask, first, congratulations on the National Book Award, which is huge. I know it was a little while ago, but I'm sure it probably never gets old. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's, of course, an enormous honor and a wonderful achievement. Uh, I was really curious if having won that Did it affect your process at all or the way that you approach writing?
1: I think it was a ticket to be able to feel a little bit more free. Like, I feel like there's a um, groundedness in the, I feel a little bit more grounded in the industry. Like, y'all can't take this one award from me. (laughs) No (laughs) no matter what happens, I get (laughs) security. It feels like a security blanket in a way that um, I didn't have before. Oh,
0: I like that. I'm happy to hear that. I... Cause I was thinking about it and, you know, kind of coming back to the idea of like wanting to please readers. I can see it going the opposite, you know, that it could Mm. lead to a lot of pressures and a lot of like feeling like you, uh, I don't know, would have to um, repeat the same thing. Like, okay, this is what people expect of me now. Um, But I I like hearing that for you, it's, it's a freedom that came with it.
1: Yeah, I think maybe I decided early on like lightning doesn't strike twice, so I don't need to try to, <laughs> to repeat this. <laughs>
0: okay, got we got the National Book Award. Cross that one off the bucket right. list. <laughs> yeah. All right, my last question before we move on to our bonus round. Another one that I like to ask every guest. What do you feel is the biggest challenge that you have faced so far in your writing career and how would you say you were able to overcome it?
1: I do think it was um, a moment in my career where I, I really was um, focusing so much more on what it what I thought other people wanted rather than what my joy was, which is ironic because like, I in the National Book Award. It was like we're just saying it was a security blanket but I feel like around the same period I was kind of like struggling with that and maybe getting the ward feeling that security blanket was kind of like another push into the direction of like got to learn how to write my joy instead of um trapping myself and limiting my own creativity on what it is I really want to be writing
0: Mm -hmm. I do love that I pretty much want to go put that on my like post it up above my writing desk follow your joy Mm -hmm. I think that's Words to live by, for sure. Yeah. Okay, are you ready for our bonus round? Yes. Plotter or pantser?
1: Hmm. It depends on the book. Okay.
0: It depends on okay. the book, yeah. Where do you, like, fall more one way or the other, or...
1: The uh, really or how, how did you do it with Mark and Seam*? So that was... Uh, it was a mix it was um started out with an outline for the first draft and then basically threw that out because of the first draft you know everything we discussed mm-hmm. and then the second draft was all kind of like pantsing looking for those moments um to fill in with like so it was a I, I feel like my favorite is the perfect balance between the two where it's just like a very brief outline of bullet points and ideas and then kind of filling in the in-between moments with pantsing.
0: Thanks. Music or silence? Music. What is your favorite writing snack or beverage?
1: It used to be crackers, grapes, and cheese, but I can't eat cheese anymore. So I (laughs) need a new snack. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Because that sounds so lovely.
1: (laughs) It was very nice.
0: (laughs) Writing in a computer or writing in a notebook?
1: Computer. I'm always impressed by anyone that writes in a notebook.
0: I am a little bit too. If Larkin Kassim had a theme song, what would it be?
1: Uh, Cranes in the Sky by Solange.
0: What is your personal mantra?
1: Hmm. I mean, it, I guess it is follow your joy these days.
0: You know, as I was asking that question, I was like, wait, I feel like we've already touched on this.
1: I know, right? <laughs> For a moment, I was like, should I try to figure out something else? <laughs> nah, not <really>. this is... <laughs>
0: What advice would you give to help someone be a happier writer? And here again, I feel like I I could just keep repeating
1: that same thing. Sorry for being a broken record. Um, Well, maybe try meditation. Maybe that's another kind of like form of just getting in touch with, figuring out ways to get in touch with the body to figure out what actually does feel joyful or not.
0: Yeah, no, I like that. And um, I don't think anyone's ever use meditation as an answer to that question. And I really do think that it can have some wonderful benefits. Mm -hmm. How do you fill the creative well?
1: Playing video games.
0: How do you celebrate an accomplishment or how did you celebrate winning the national book award? If you can remember.
1: I need to get better at celebrating accomplishments. (laughs) I don't, I didn't really celebrate that. In general, I tend to, um, I have been in the past been like, okay, that that was nice. And now what next? Like what's next on the to-do list? Mm. And I think that that has a lot to do with like the lack of embodiment. So these days I'm trying to, at the next time I get an accomplishment, I'm going to test myself and see if I can actually like pause and celebrate it.
0: For sure. Have you done anything to celebrate Larkin Kassim coming out? no why would you ask that (laughs) (laughs) because this is me prompting you to come Uh, up with something good to celebrate
1: (laughs) I'm gonna go get myself some cupcakes today
0: okay perfect (laughs) perfect plan what book makes you happy
1: um unfortunately right now nothing's coming to mind um yeah, I can't really, well, no, I'm looking at my bookshelf and Black Sun is right there, Rebecca Roanhorse. It is an adult, not a YA, but that is probably one of my favorites. So that book makes me happy.
0: What are you working on next?
1: I'm working on a fantasy that I can't say that much more about, but I am excited. um, When it's, when it's eventually announced, I will be excited.
0: Nice. And last question, where can people find you?
1: Um, my website is caseandcalendar.com. My Twitter is at caseandcalendar, I believe.
0: And you're not on Instagram. Is that right?
1: No, I did quit Instagram.
0: Okay. Cause I was trying to find you and I was like, why is Casein not coming up? Okay. That makes, that makes sense. sense. Uh, awesome. Casein, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you. That was a lot of fun.
0: Readers. Be sure to check out Lark and Kasim start a revolution. It is available now. Of course, we encourage you to support your local indie bookstore, but if you don't have a local indie, you can check out our affiliate store. That is at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. Once again, we have been having some fluctuations in our schedule, Um, so I'm not entirely sure who I'm talking to next week, but I think it's going to be Nick Brooks, uh, and we're going to be talking about his debut middle grade, Nothing Interesting Ever Happens to Ethan Fairmont. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy, stay cozy, and whatever life throws at you today, I do hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.